when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Well, hello, everyone. Hope you're all doing well out there in trial lawyer land. Uh, For those of you who don't know yet, although we've been screaming it from the rooftops, we just had our launch party yesterday. The book is here. If you have not gotten your copy of From Hostage to Hero, you're going to definitely want to do that. Go to fromhostagetohero.com to see all of the ways that you can not only just order the book, but interact with me regarding the book, our From Hostage to Hero Facebook group. That's where we did the launch party. Our uh, podcast, the one you're listening to now. Uh, the the book itself, all of that's going to be there. Or you can go straight to Trial Guides, trialguides.com and order your copy from Trial Guides. But you want to make sure to get the book. And um, we're, we're so happy, those of you who are getting the book and posting your pics in the Facebook group. Thank you so much for all of the support. It's just been a long road getting here. And uh, I've been wanting to write a book for years. And it just wasn't the right time until, until it was, as it as many things are. And so we're just thrilled that it's here and having so much fun playing with that and uh, hearing your comments and your thoughts. If you have a review for us for the book, do send it over. We'd love to include that in uh, the reviews that we're putting on the website. So you can email us at info at sorrydlm.com or christy at sorrydlm.com. They'll get that up and going. So thanks again in advance. And if you haven't uh, reviewed this podcast, we invite you to do that. That helps us get the podcast to more listeners, the more reviews we get. So head on over to wherever you listen uh, to the podcast at iTunes or Spotify or wherever you might listen and give us a review. We really appreciate that. All right. So today we're talking about how to handle anger in court. And so I talk about this in the book. And the reason that I bring it up in most cases is when I'm talking about the, the, what's the word that I want obsession might be the best word, the obsession that trial attorneys have with winning. You know, it's, it's funny when I'm talking about winning and you know, I've done some podcasts on this, go back to some of the early podcasts when I talk about the limiting beliefs. I think there's one called winning is the only acceptable outcome. That's one of the limiting beliefs. And when I talk about winning and how the attorneys are so obsessed with it, y'all look at me like I'm crazy. You're like, of course we're obsessed with winning. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of this job. And, and my question to you is, is it? I mean, really, is that is that the, the whole point of this job? Because I'm going to take issue with that. I'm going to take a stand for it's not the entire point of this job. Your job is not to win, okay? Your job is to fight. And that is a whole other podcast. And I don't want to get into that in depth here. But I say that because when you have this focus on winning as being the only acceptable outcome or the the reason why you were in this work or or whatever else what happens is you become attached and that's what leads us then to anger so let's talk about what i mean 
So for example, when we're talking about attachment to winning, attachment to winning is very different than wanting to win. So for example, when we talk about attachment, what I'm saying is when you're attached to something, I mean, literally, let's just think if you're literally attached to something like a baby is attached to its mother. I mean, it's like super important. We're talking like life and death and whatever happens to the thing that you are attached to affects you deeply and greatly. That is not the position that we want to be in when it comes to trial work. Do we want to win? Absolutely. Are we doing everything we possibly can to do to win? Absolutely. That's why you're listening to this podcast. That's why you bought my book. That's why you buy other books. That's why you attend CLEs. Yes, we absolutely want to win. What we can't be is attached to winning. So one of the stories I tell quite often, I may have even told it in this podcast, but I repeat it here as an example of attachment is I was doing a training at a law firm. This was years and years ago. And I was doing my don't shoot the messenger training. So it's more like a corporate training. It had nothing to do really with law. It was all about how to deliver bad news. And so in that training, we had 13 people. One of the 13 was the COO, the chief operating officer. And before I'd even gotten to the the place that I was going to be doing the seminar, uh, the HR manager had warned me about the COO and said he's kind of a loose cannon and he just kind of says things and I just don't want you to be caught off guard. And sure enough, in the middle of the training, as I was talking about how to deliver negative information and not become associated with that information, and one of the techniques for doing that is to have the negative message or the bad news on a visual. He, without any warning, as she had said, shouts out, if someone were to give me information like that, I would think they were a coward. Now, I had a choice. If I had been attached Meaning, how dare he? I would have been personally offended and I would have been like, listen, buddy, this is my training. Back the fuck off. Which, of course, as a professional, I would never have done. But even if I was thinking that, of course, as you know, body language starts in the brain. I would have communicated it. So I had to be really careful to not attach to his stuff, by the way. Had nothing to do with me. And when I became unattached, when I was able to say, that's because you love to argue. He thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. And he was totally mine for the rest of the training. Absolutely with me on board, so on and so forth. The point is, did I want my seminar to go well? Yes, for sure. Was I attached to it having to go well? No, because I can't control other people and what they do. I mean, as my coach says, the goal is to be 100% committed and 100% unattached, meaning you're all in, but you've let go of the outcome. Now, I say all of this as a ramp up to the idea of anger at court and how to, to manage that because we have to look at why are we angry in the first place? And when we talk about Anger in court, and we talk about attachment, anger is a great indicator of attachment. In other words, we are often angry because we are attached to the outcome. You know, anger is a great cover-up emotion, is how I always talk about anger. It's not a real emotion in and of itself, meaning anger is always 
the emotion that is covering for another emotion that is underneath. For example, when you get angry because the witness is lying on the stand, we are not actually angry in many cases. We are fearful. We're scared. I mean, let's be real. We're scared that that lying is going to win over the jury, that they're going to believe the lie. And if they believe the lie, that means they may vote against us, which may mean that we lose. So that's really the emotion is fear. Anger is just the cover up for fear. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here at the end of this episode. But, but what I want to communicate to you is that anger is almost always a sign of being attached. And that's really dangerous for you as trial attorneys because one, anger clouds your judgment. It just does. You aren't able to communicate as clearly when you're angry and you can't make good decisions when you're angry. And we all know that making good decisions at trial is of paramount importance. So it clouds your judgment. It gets in the way. It brings in your saboteur. I'm going to do a whole podcast on what a saboteur is, but basically that inner critic, and it just takes you off of your game. So that's one reason why we want to be really careful about how we handle anger at court. But the other reason that it's dangerous is that it always communicates to the jury this is personal. Meaning when you communicate anger at court, you're asking the jury, non-verbally of course, but still, to award you personally, a plaintiff attorney, a verdict, not a verdict for your client. Because anger communicates, this is something I am personally upset about. This is offensive to me. You know, I remember talking to an attorney who said, well, it's just so hard because I, I, I just hate when they lie, when they lie and, and the truth, you know, the, I need to stand up for the truth. I need to, I need to, to, to get angry for the truth. And I said, the truth doesn't need a defense. It needs a voice. That's what your job is as trial attorneys is to communicate clearly and calmly that the truth is this. The minute that you bring in the anger, now it becomes personal. And you know that I'm not suggesting that you are a robot at court. In fact, that's the exact opposite of what I'm saying. I I'm not suggesting that you just turn everything off and you not get angry. In fact, we're going to talk about how to deal with anger in just a minute because it will still happen for sure. But what I don't want you to do is to get ahead of yourself. And, and this really brings the third reason why anger needs to be dealt with very carefully at court is that when you are angry, it takes away the space for jurors to be angry. There's this weird thing that we do as humans, and that is we always are trying to regulate the temperature of the room. And I don't mean the actual temperature. I mean the emotional temperature. And you know this <laughs> if you've ever grown up in a family, for example, of trauma like I did. So if there's someone who is always angry, upset, yelling, screaming, your job is not to join in with that. Uh, even though no one's ever given you that job, but as a child, you kind of learn this. Your job, you come in and you try to dampen that. You try to bring it down. You try to bring everything back to neutral, to homeostasis. This is kind of how we're wired 
as humans is that we always want this kind of neutral place. And so if you are angry in court, what you do is force the jurors then to bring homeostasis in so that we all kind of go back to neutral and take the opposite position. Meaning you take the opportunity for the jurors to be angry out of their hands by being angry yourself or at least communicating anger. That's a big deal. We know that when jurors are pissed and angry, that verdicts go up. Because, and I've talked about this in other other podcasts, but when we get to the moral, ethical center of your case, that's when we increase our verdict size. Uh, Just yesterday, I was working with a client and I was saying to him that the verdict or the the case, I should say, is never about the plaintiff, ever. The plaintiff is like the container for the action that the defendant did, meaning they are one of several victims. Now, you might say, well, I only have one victim in my case, But, 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 but let's step back. If the jury lets the defendant off the hook, there are more victims to come. You and I know that. And that is what we're supposed to be communicating to the jury is that this is about a bigger thing, a moral thing, an ethical thing. When you can get to the core of your case in that way, in fact, I'm going to do a podcast on I just decided because this is such a big juicy thing. That's when verdicts go up. So going back to the idea of anger is that when you're angry, you don't give space for the jury to be angry. So that's the third reason why this is so dangerous. Now, we know that the it, it's basically not possible <laughs> to never get angry in court. I mean, the defense does crazy ass shit that we're like, what the hell was that? And it and we're human and we get angry. So here are three ways that you can deal with anger at court. The first thing you can do is you can express it. All right. Now, as we've been talking, that is rarely the best way to deal with anger at court because, again, it it just is communicating this is personal. It's taking that energy away from the jury. But there are, are obviously times where it is appropriate. Okay. In our mock jury just last weekend with the, um, I guess it'd be a couple weekends ago now when you're listening to this podcast, uh, the jury wanted the attorney to be more emotive. All right. Because they said, although we don't want to have you tell us how to feel, we do want some emotional cues to show us how we should be feeling about this. And I thought that was very interesting. It's always such a fine line between how much you should show the jury emotionally and how much you shouldn't. And I thought that that particular juror really put that well. So you can express it. That is a choice. And the reason I I outline that as a choice is because when you feel you have no choice, that's where things get crazy and we start to rebel. So I'm suggesting that You absolutely have a choice. Expressing anger is one of your choices. I don't think it's your best choice, but it is a choice and there's times where it's appropriate. The second option that you have is to let it go. I mean, this isn't always easy, uh, but it's oftentimes the right choice. I mean, because when we take, for example, go back to attachment, when we take the, the actions of someone personally, that's when things can get dangerous. I mean, think about police officers. Police officers, if they took criminal action personally, and sometimes they do, that's when abuse happens, does it not? Police officers have to train themselves not to take 
the actions of criminals personally and just view that unattached. Do police officers care? Yes, but they cannot be attached or else bad things happen. Same goes for you. So if you can let it go, let it go. But the third option is also to just let it be. I don't think we talk about this option very much in terms of emotions of any kind, but it is absolutely a a a perfectly good option to feel something without expressing it. I mean, many of you listening are parents. When our kids do something wrong or they they disrespect us in some way, it's super easy to lose it, isn't it? But if we express our anger in that moment, We've letting our emotions get the better of us. And now it's about intimidating our kids versus disciplining them or showing them how to act correctly. So it's possible to feel something without expressing it. We don't need to, as I say in the book, uh, shove it down or shout it out. It can just be. And that's a perfectly valid expression or non-expression as it may be of anger. And that's the one that I think is is probably the easiest is you can feel the anger and not have to communicate the anger. Now, we all know because you've been watching and or I should say listening to me all this time that I talk a lot about how body language begins in the brain. And so the question then becomes, well, if I feel angry and even though I'm not verbally expressing it, won't it be expressed non-verbally? And the answer to that, of course, is yes especially if you're really trying to shove it down and which is not what I'm suggesting that you do. It's it's super obvious there. But here's the difference. It's okay to feel something and even non-verbally have it seep through so to speak depending on your motivation. So what do I mean? If your motivation for being angry is this is going to cost me the trial cuz this guy is lying. That will get communicated to the jury, and that is communicating I'm attached, which is what we started the podcast with, that we don't want to communicate that we're attached. But if you are angry because, for example, lying is wrong, it's wrong to lie, now we're back at the moral or the ethical issue. And jurors can tell the difference. They can tell the difference about you being angry personally or being angry for a larger purpose. And in that way, it's okay to feel that. And if it gets communicated non-verbally, which it most likely will, that's perfectly fine. So you can express it. You can let it go. You can let it be. Those are your options. But again, coming back to this idea of why are you angry in the first place, remember that anger is a cover-up emotion. And the reason why we cover up the emotion is because we don't want to be with it. We don't want to be with it. And that's kind of huge when you when you think about that. And this is true in our all of our lives. Why do we overeat or overdrink or go and watch TV for several hours? It's all to distract us from feeling whatever it is we don't want to feel. And I'm here to tell you that if you really want to be an excellent trial attorney, if you really want to take your practice to the next level, you will start to work on not avoiding feeling the things that you're feeling. Because when you use a cover-up emotion like anger, it's not allowing you to feel the actual emotion, which is fear. And there is so much wisdom 
in being with your fear. For one thing, the more we try to avoid whatever emotion is that we're trying to feel, the more it grows, right? Because we keep shoving it down, hiding it in a closet, putting a pillow over the top of it, sitting on top of it, right? We do everything we possibly can. By the way, just insert, overeat, overdrink, all those things are metaphors for those things that we're doing. And it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger until it absolutely consumes us. The only way is through, my friends. We can't go over or under or, or bypass it. We have to go through. We have to feel the emotion to let it pass, to let it go out of our system. And when we're with the emotion, there's lots of wisdom there because then we allow ourselves to figure out what we want to do with that, how we want to be with that. You know, uh, we just had the opening statement studio, as I mentioned, and one of the attorneys said that he had suffered some Bell's palsy um, with a recent bout of the flu. And Bell's palsy is, you know, we have paralysis. And he had this little paralysis around his mouth, which caused this little lisp. And he's really self-conscious about it. And so my question to him was not, how are you going to fix that? Because it's probably unfixable at this point, he said. I said, how do you want to be with that? He gets to choose. He gets to choose how he wants to be with that. And that, my friends, is everything. That's where the true power lies. So I'm not here to suggest that you'll never get angry. I'm not here to suggest that it's never okay to, to express that anger. What I am here telling you today is that anger is natural. There are lots of options for you to deal with it at court. But I also want to remind you to look at and peek behind what is behind that anger and start there and learn how to be with that, whether that's just sitting with it for five minutes and seeing what comes up for you instead of distract, 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 or anger, anger, anger. If you can sit with it, I tell you, that's going to help you so much, not just in court, but in your personal development as well. Alrighty, well, I hope this has been helpful. Until next time, make sure you go to Trial Guides or From Hostage to Hero and get the book. We'll talk soon, my friends. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sari Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.